0: We're in our sixth week in this new series called Our Hearts Burn Within. Now, why this name, Our Hearts Burn Within, for a series in Acts? Well, here's why. I want to tell you something that will help the Bible come alive to you. And I want to tell you something that will help be a light when you feel you are in the dark places. In the Bible... When God makes a promise, there's a space between his promise and the fulfillment. This period of long waiting, and God is doing a lot of good work in this period of long waiting, but when you get closer to the time of fulfillment of this promise, you enter into a dark night. It seems that he is gone. It seems that he's distant, like he's withdrawn himself. The fulfillment feels impossible now. And in the dark night, when all hope seems lost, that is when he arrives. The dawn is brightest. I mean, the the night is dark just before the dawn. And then when that happens, your heart burns within. So look at this. So after Jesus was crucified, the disciples were in the dark night. They have seen their leader be mocked, ridiculed, tortured, and killed. The movement seems like it's over. He took his last breath. The tomb shut and darkness swallowed him up. The revolution has failed and the disciples scatter out in fear. And there, in the hopelessness, there are two disciples who are walking down this road to Emmaus. And on this road, a mysterious traveler joins them. And he begins to open up the scriptures to them, showing how everything that has happened to this Christ, it was all part of the plan. And when they arrive to Jerusalem, the place where they're trying to go, or they're on this road and they arrive where they want to go... They have a meal, and this mysterious traveler joins them. And when he breaks the bread, immediately they recognize him. It's Jesus. And as mysteriously as he arrives, he disappears. And then here's what the disciples said. Did not our hearts burn within us as he opened up the scriptures with us? In the darkness, when all hope was lost that is when the flame was kindled. The revolution was not over. It had just begun. And look at this. When they had hope drained from them, do you know what was happening? That was when the resurrection was happening. That was when God was doing his greatest work, when all hope did seem lost. And so now... They recognize it. They see it. And the pilot light of their hearts has been turned on. And then a few chapters later, you move from Luke to Acts. And you see the the rushing wind of the Holy Spirit sets this little pilot light flaming into a wildfire. And it forms a community of people. A new kind of community. Jesus calls this community a city on a hill. And what he means by that is you once, all of you, once were lone wanderers. Desperate. Searching for this, long, this like eternal bread that would satisfy. Searching for this eternal drink that would finally like quench everything that you're looking for. You're exhausted from false hopes. You needed rest from the dark night that swallowed you up. And then finally, as you wander... In the distance, you see a light, and it's a city on a hill, and you go sneaking up, and as you sneak up, you hear laughter from inside of the city, and you peek over the, the gate, and when you do, you see dancing, and you see celebration, and you smell foods, and it's a big celebration going on, and it's the type of community, I mean, there's a strange affection that these ha- people have towards each other. If their enemies had seen them when they looked over that hill, that, that looked over the wall, they would say, I, I want to join them, I want to be friends with them. And their enemies turn into friends. Now I want to tell you this. We can become this at the grove. A community of friends who burn with love. And affection this strange heaven on the earth type thing and we could offer light to the world and we're not that yet in order to become this our verses tell us what to do we have to devote ourselves to five things among each other in our homes so let me read our verses it's Acts 2 verses 42 through 47 They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. First point is the gospel. Our verses say they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, what is this apostles' teaching that each and every one of the apostles except for one died proclaiming? What is that teaching? It's the gospel. And the word gospel literally means good news, joyful news, the greatest news you have ever heard. If you are hearing the truth of Christianity, the truth of the gospel, and it doesn't sound like the greatest news you've ever heard, you are likely misunderstanding it. If it is not news that doesn't make you want to grab somebody and hug them, if it's not news that doesn't make you want to sing and dance and celebrate, then you are likely misunderstanding this news. And if you meet someone who claims to be a Christian and you find them dull and boring, it is because they're not holding on to the truth in that moment. So have you been struck by this news? I want you to imagine an evil, powerful king. He's been destroying cities and empires and nations, and his army marches to our city to attack. And then off in the distance, I mean, we're done for. We're dead. We are doomed. But off in the distance, we see a lone runner. And he comes running, and he's shouting out, A new king has come! Open the gates! And the gates open up, and this herald, this good newser, travels into the city center, and he says, a new king has come and defeated the evil king. We are free. We have gone from death to life, from sorrow to joy. And the celebration begins. Let me say it another way. Good news is a friend, a neighbor who knocks on your door and says, hey, while you are out of town, one of your bills came to my house, and so I paid it. How should you respond to that? Well, it depends on which bill he paid. If he paid a $5 outstanding bill that you didn't know you had, well, you give him a thank you. But if he paid off your house, that demands a different type of response. The premise of Christianity is Christ has come to pay a debt that you never could have paid. And the gift demands a response not because you have to but because come on look at what the gift is have you been struck by this news are you in awe as our verses say have you felt the cold prison bars of guilt and shame like you're trapped behind them and a savior has come and ripped open the gates and set you free have you felt that Have you felt the nails pulled from your wrist, the nails of your sin pulled from your wrist and hammered into the nails of your Savior, pinning him to the cross? Have you felt the grave of death close upon you and then open up to an eternity of light? I'm not asking if you know this, I'm asking if you have tasted it. And you have to understand, like, what sin is. Sin is not simply doing something wrong. Sin is a devastating power that you have unleashed into you and around you. And now because of that sin, there's this thing called death. And sin is like the siren that calls the evil king of death to you, to come and destroy you. In Christianity, not only is your debt forgiven, but the power of sin that calls like a siren, death towards you, has been defeated. It's done. It's over. Is this news sweet to you? And have you tasted it? I can tell my kids how good cold vanilla ice cream that is poured over hot molten chocolate cake is. I could tell them all about it. But it's not till they taste it that they understand what it is that I have been describing. Does Christianity delight you? Has it drawn you in like you cannot take your eyes off of it? When someone mentions the name of Jesus, do you have to fight back a smile so you don't look like you're walking around with a silly grin? This is the delight that showed up in the early church in our verses here. Does this still exist today? And the answer is yes, it does. And it appears to find its way in pockets throughout the world in periods of time. It just shows up. And it's almost like it's showing up when all hope seems lost. And this community of people have found something in the dark night of their soul where the Savior King has come and awakened them. Do you want that? And if you do, you have to be willing to not only open yourself up to the good news. But you have to be be open-minded about the terror of sin. The sweetness of grace requires you to first see what you're being saved from. And you know we tend... To avoid the terrors and so by doing that we actually end up avoiding the good news my son kale he hates sad things something tragic just happened to our neighbors and this little girl wanted to tell him about it and he was avoiding it he had he's he heard a little bit about what was happening because he was watching her tell my wife elise And saw Elise tear up, and so he avoided it. He went up to his room, and he read for five hours that day. He's eight, and he read for five hours. Now, he loves to read, but I have never seen him read for five hours. He was avoiding the news, the bad news that was downstairs. So what do we do? How do we help him? Well, we have to help him face the sadness. Sadness. But in facing the sadness, we have something to point him to. And by helping him face the sadness, it's almost like it awakens in him this desire for hope. And then we can tell him the good news that in Christianity, one day, everything sad will come untrue. You understand that, right? It's like death is reversed. Sadness reversed. Everything becomes undone. And then there's this other part of Christianity that makes this claim that everything bad that has happened will somehow make glory, paradise, heaven all the better. It's like somehow it's all worth it. So there's hope. And the hope is found in the darkness. To experience the good stuff, you have to have the courage to look into the darkness. And we need the gospel's truth. So, you want to experience God, right? You want to have this happen to you. And so, we need the truth to do that, but we need something else. In our verses, friendship, it says. So, not only did they devote themselves to the gospel, but to friendship. They met together daily in homes and in the temple. And I want you to understand what was happening there violates everything about our culture in our area right now because there are two things that rule our area rule our culture and are probably ruling you more than you realize two kings one king is called comfort the other king is success and success in our area it's strange it's like it's like you have to not have too much success like you don't show off around here but you have to keep up with the joneses you have to do just enough And so as you're keeping up with the Joneses, there's this pressure for success, but there's also this pressure for comfort. And so you go to work, and you know what you're trying to do when you go to work? You know what you're trying to do when you want to get more things? You're trying to prove that you have some worth. And if you work to be worthy, you will be exhausted. You'll be dead tired. And then you're going to come home. Or whatever it is that you're doing. You're with your kids all day. Whatever it is. You're measuring yourself to everybody else around you. And so you come home and you're also chasing comfort. And so what are you going to do? Well, you're going to isolate yourself. Because people, well, they're uncomfortable. People are difficult. Having friendships is hard work. So you've got nothing left. And so you just isolate for the sake of comfort. Now, look at what you've done now. There's a whole thing happening where God, when he gathers his church, there's his presence among them, but you are sacrificing, experiencing the excellencies of God, the excellencies of Christ, because you just want to isolate yourself because you're exhausted from chasing after comfort, from chasing after being worthy of something. So you lose. And it says that they ate together. Now... There is something very spiritual about eating with people. And it also forces conversation because when you eat, you have to kind of sit down and listen because you have food in your mouth. And so it's like God's way of shutting up the extroverts and allowing the introverts to speak. And so what happens is the, they, these two people sit down and the extrovert is like, blah, 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 blah. And the introvert's like, this is so great, I don't have to say anything, but the introvert is eating. And the extrovert is not. And then the introvert's done, and the extrovert's like, oh no, I have to eat. And so now it's the introvert's turn. And this is what happens. And it's God's way of forcing friendship upon us. And you guys are laughing because you know it's true. Third. Third way to experience the excellencies of Christ. They gathered for the They gathered in the temple daily for worship. They intentionally gathered to be stirred up into thanks and praise and wonder and awe. It seems, you know, the average churchgoer today goes to church once every three weeks. It seems that that's not what was happening here in our verses. It seems that once, one hour a week is not enough to experience the excellencies of Christ. They were gathering daily, not just in the temple, but in homes. I'm not saying you're not going to set up boundaries, but like. It's like they just there was something special happening and they just had to share it together. And. You hear this a lot, like people will look around at people who just, there's something going on with them and God. And they just long to have what they have. But little do they know, those are the people who are waking up early. Or they're going to bed late because they're in scripture, they're in the word, and they're in prayer. And they pray with their eyes open because they're praying all the time. They're willing to do whatever it takes. It's like they long for God more than a deer pants for water. They're just longing to delight in him. They're seeking God with their whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And they're devoted. It's like they're, please have a service every morning. Please have a service every night. Please just create a space for me to be able to experience the excellencies of God. So if you want him, you just, you seek him. And if, you make excuses like, I don't have time. That's fine. But you are now left with your excuses and not experiencing God. So just pick what you want. Do you want him? Seek him. If you don't, there's plenty of excuses to have. And, and you know, to me, it seems like that's just going to lead to a very boring, dull, boring, boring and dull life. If God really is everything we want, if we delight ourselves in him and he gives us the desires of our heart, then what are we doing making excuses up? Like, just go to him. And then the generosity of God that they encountered as they made space for God led them to be radically generous. But they didn't even feel radically generous for them. It was just like a natural response to what God has just done. This is our fourth point, generosity. It said that they sold all their possessions and they gave their money to those in need. This is not an argument. Many people will say that this is an argument for socialism. It's not. Socialism is forced generosity. This this is a free thing that Hearts have been burning inside and they can't help but say, I'm here. I'll sell my land and give this to you. Radical generosity is happening. There's something about generosity that seems to open us up to experiencing God. It's like we, God has done something amazing for us. He's blessed us. So we return. Like, here, God. And then because we just said, here, God, it's all yours. He's like, I'm going to come and show you that it was all worth it. Here I am. He's not giving you more stuff. He's giving you him. He's the treasure. He's the delight. He's the joy. Not stuff. And okay, like, I know that this does something to everybody when I talk about this. And uh, let me just say this, like, if you are building your own empire, you better stay away from Christianity. It will terrify you. You start talking about money and Christianity, it's terrifying. You know why? Because here's what what God says. All that you have does not belong to you. It belongs to God. And you are a steward of it. And in 80 years from now, it will no longer belong to you but someone else. In 80 years from then, it will belong to someone else. It is all God's and he's lending it to you to use and to be faithful with for a period of time. And you say, well, gosh, a steward, like, that's a bummer. Yeah, but you're also a co-heir with Christ, and you own everything that is Christ, which means all the spiritual blessings of heaven are yours. You are sons and daughters of the living God. So we can be stewards with our material stuff, knowing that everything in the heavenly places belongs to us. Because we have a brother who died so we might have it. And so you are radically generous for the kingdom of God. And you know, if you're playing with this thing like, I'm building my empire, I'm building my kingdom, but I also want to be in the kingdom of God, well, like, you realize that's how we lost Eden. The story of Eden is us wanting to build another type of Eden, and it all got lost. So again, if you want to build your own kingdom, you better run from Christianity because he will level the kingdom that you're building to the ground. And he'll do it out of love because your kingdom is destroying you. When his kingdom thrives, you thrive because you're in it. And then it says God added to their number daily those who are being saved. This is evangelism. Our last point. And this this kind of community that I've described up until this point is very attractive because it carries goodness, beauty, and truth, and it carries hope in the dark. But for it to be built, it takes you. Do you see this? The gospel was in every part of their life. Community Friendship was in every part of their life. Worship was in every part. Generosity in every part and now evangelism in every part. What is evangelism? It's it's the lone herald running running to the city gate saying, "Open up. A new king has come and he's come to rescue us. He's come to set us free. The evil king is done for. He's been defeated." Evangelism is the neighbor who knocks on the door. I mean, not literally, okay? Just go with the, the, the metaphor here. The neighbor who knocks on the door and says, Hey, your bill has been paid. There's this grand bill payer that's been going around paying bills, and I've been praying to him. I've been asking him to pay your debt, and he did it. Do you want to meet him? And then look at what you invite them into to come and meet. A community that is celebrating, a city on a hill, lives that dance in response to the song of Christ, a place where there's real friendship, real generosity, real love for God and others, and I just kept emphasizing real on purpose, because everything around us is fake and phony. There's a lot of it, a lot of really good marketing that has no genuine love for you. This is a community that's real. There are people people of heaven living on the earth. And this community has been formed because this community has a king. And Christ, the king, died so that this community might be born. He came off from a far off country to come and rescue us. And he was crucified outside of the city gates so that we might have a right to enter in. And he became poor so that we might become rich. And he lost his father. He lost his community in heaven and he was buried, abandoned in the deep abyss of hell alone and you know what he did there he grabbed you he grabbed us and as he rose he pulled you up out with him and then welcomed you into the community of heaven the community of the father son and spirit and all of us together in this grand dance like think about this here's the gospel we ran from god We invited sin into our life that is destroying us. And the son chased us down, won us over, died our death, lived our life, gave us everything, and then he deposited in you the Holy Spirit. And you know what the Holy Spirit's doing right now? Crying out for the Father. That means there's something in you that as much as you want to run from God, it's doing this, pulling you to the Father pulling you into the community that you have made for because you are a wanderer, but he won't let you get lost. He'll chase you down forever and always. So you might be welcomed into this community of love, a city on a hill that shines bright, that's burning through the mist, a city that you long for and the city around us does. So here's what we do. We go to him and we see what he does next like all the way to him. Let's pray. God, it was a delight for you to come and die for us. Not because we earned it, not because we were lovely, but you did it to make us lovely. Let us be people who enter into the glory of that truth so we might see your beauty, and respond with love. So we might learn the real meaning of sacrifice. So we might learn the real meaning of joy, the real meaning of peace. God, join us to each other. Join us to you. Make us one. And give us hope. No matter what stands before us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When the disciples, these two disciples that were welcoming this strange traveler on the road to Emmaus, they welcomed this strange traveler into their home and they ate a meal together. And when they ate the meal, their eyes were opened and they recognized that the traveler was Jesus. And I, sup- I suppose that is how we all meet him in a way. We don't know that he's with us. We don't know that he's joined us on this road. And then something happens. We, think, we see his willingness to be broken for us. And our eyes just open up and we say, oh, it's you. I've been looking for you. Where have you been? I've been on the road with you. That's how we meet them. So I want to just take you through. This is communion, union, one with God, with Christ, with us together. I mean, there's something that's uniting us here. So I want to explain to you what's happening. When When we do this together, when we receive communion, we're receiving the story of God rescuing us. We're receiving the story of coming out of darkness into the light. We're receiving the story of, like, we've peered into the darkness, and it has terrified us. But we kept looking because we heard that in the darkness he will come, and a light began to grow Until it shined so bright that it encompassed all of us. When you walk up here, every step is a step that's saying, Ah, I am terrified. The darkness is before me. I'm gonna keep walking in hope that at some point the light will begin to glow and I will meet my king there. When hope seems lost, I will choose faith. That's what this is. Steps of faith. Steps of belief that there's hope in the darkness. So let me pray. Um, Before I pray, let me explain. So there's little pieces of bread. You could take it and dip it in the cup. If you'd like your own little personalized communion cup, you could take one of those. And in the baggies, there's gluten-free bread if you don't like gluten. So. Let me pray. Father you have told us that when we gather. You are present. We're going to believe that right now. That you are with us. And you won't ever leave us or forsake us. You won't abandon us our souls to the darkness. But you will fight and you will win and you will always show up when all hope seems lost. Be with us now. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. Like us on your favorite podcast provider. Follow our social media at Grove Church PSL and check out our website, thegrovechurch.co.